Michael Franzese was not just a soldier, but a capo in the notorious Colombo crime family. He spent the better part of a decade in federal prison on charges including tax fraud, racketeering, and parole violations. I grew up in New York where there are five organized crime families. My dad was a underboss in the Colombo crime family back in the 1960s. I went to see my dad in Leavenworth, and uh, I said, Dad, listen, I don't want to go to school anymore. During the course of that visit, he said to me, listen, if your mind is made up and you don't want to go to school, then uh, if you're going to be on the street, I want you to be on the street in the right way. And that's how it started for me. Michael Francis was a made member of organized crime. His main forte was, was making money for the mob. In a very short period of time, Michael Francis made over $300 million for the Colombo organized crime family. By far the biggest and most lucrative business uh, enterprise that I got involved in was the wholesale gasoline business. In a nutshell, we devised a way to sell the gas, collect the taxes, and not pay the taxes. I was there to be in business and to make money, real money. How much money do you think uh, you and Michael with your gang stole in your operation? Several hundred million. Life magazine called him the mob's young genius. The government calls him one of the biggest money earners in the history of organized crime. Handsome and high living young man, as rich as royalty, and royal he is, a prince of the mafia. Michael Francis has been called every name under the sun by people on both sides of the law. He made millions, lived a flashy life, and came to be known as the yuppie Don. Did you fix any games in college? Absolutely. He says he doesn't have $14 million. He doesn't. He has about $50 million. How do you know that? Because I personally delivered it to him. I was notorious, maybe infamous, maybe sophisticated at times, but I was a criminal. And you realize that it's a life built on treachery and that money and power are the driving forces. I really questioned the life and my commitment to that life at that moment. But now, the former yuppie Don has transformed himself into a suburban dad, a pillar of his California community, and a little league manager of renown. I got faith in you, do it, buddy. What he's doing is so much fun because he's helping us little kids learn how to play baseball. To be honest, I've had judges and politicians that are administrators that are a lot worse than him. <laughs> and now a former mob guy from the mafia is coaching third base and teaching the kids how to hit and run? What's so weird about that? This is what Little League's all about, how someone can turn around their life. What an example for children this is. Morning. Do you believe so many people still ask me how much I paid the umpire to say that? But uh, anyway, really great to be here this morning, and I really mean that. We've had uh, three great services, I believe. I think the Lord has really been in the house last night, too, this morning. And uh, I almost had the uh, parking attendants coming after me with these red things that they have out there because I've been a little bit going over my time. But I understand that we don't have that problem uh, for the last service. But should have brought some bodyguards from New York with me. But anyway, uh, it's really been great. And I got to say, from the moment I got off the plane, 
Everybody here at the church has been first class, wonderful. They've really extended themselves. And uh, last night we went to Mitieri. Anybody know that place for, for dinner? Had a great time. Good Mexican food. It was wonderful. So it's been great. And uh, tonight my wife, I had the pleasure of bringing her and my daughter. She's outside by the book table. So we've really had a great weekend. And I really appreciate that. For some reason, God has me coming back to Texas quite a bit. I've got ties at Baylor University and UT and SMU, and it's always a great time. So I appreciate being here. And you know, every time I come and, and address an audience, I always have the same prayer before I go up. And it's, um, I've spoken in front of 20,000 at Willow Creek Church, and I've spoken in front of audiences of 50. Wherever God leads me, that's where I go. And uh, I realize that um, none of us are here by accident. Now, I know I'm not, and I know none of you are. And I'm sure that some of the guys had to be dragged in here by their wives or their girlfriends, and they didn't want to come, but they said, ah, all right, Sopranos is off the air. Let me go see what the real thing is all about, right? <laughs> it's okay. Whatever gets you in the door, it's okay. But know this, and I realize this, people. I'm just a messenger here this morning, and I'm here to deliver a message. I'm not here to impose my faith on you, not here to convince you of anything. Uh, I'm here to share what God has done in my life, because God has done some amazing things in my life. And my prayer is always the same. I realize God wants to reach out and touch a heart in this room. Maybe one person in the room, maybe 10, maybe everybody in the room, I don't know, and I don't worry about that. My prayer is always, Lord, let me be effective and passionate enough in delivering this message so that you can reach out and touch the heart that you want to reach. And that's what it's all about for me. And that's what I really pray for. I pray that some of you walk out of here a little bit differently than when you walked in. Because you're going to hear it from me. This is all about one thing for me. And that's about giving praise and honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Because people, what he's done in my life, um, I always say too many blessings for one person to have. But keep coming, Lord. That doesn't mean I don't want them. But uh, uh, really, he's done some amazing things in my life. And you know, I never realized it. You know, take a good look at me. Because I'm probably the most blessed, most fortunate person you're ever going to see in your life. Because if I, I would have done what I wanted to do in my life, been left up to my own, if I never found the Lord, I'd either be dead or in prison for the rest of my life. It's what I deserved. It's certainly what I earned, spending 17 years on the street every day living in violation of the laws of God and the laws of man. I was a criminal on the streets committing criminal conduct. That's what we did in that life, no matter what anybody tries to say. That's what it was all about. And if it wasn't for the fact that God had a different plan and a purpose for my life, I wouldn't be here today. And I realize that. It's become crystal clear in my life. And what you need to realize is that God has got a plan and a purpose for every one of you here. When you listen to my testimony, Pastor didn't bring me in here to entertain you. He brought you here to make you realize that God is at work in people's lives all over this world, and He wants to work in yours. The Bible is clear. It tells us we don't do things on our own. But God has a plan and a purpose for every one of us. Everybody has an individual talent and gift that God wants to use. You don't have to have a dramatic testimony. You're going to hear my testimony and say, Wow, Mike, how did this happen? Well, God allowed it to happen. Well, you don't need a dramatic testimony. God may have a different plan for you. You have a different gift that He wants to use. And you need to understand that. And I believe that, my, that God's plan and purpose for my life is to be an encouragement to people all around this world, whoever I come in contact with. Because I'll tell you this, I travel this country quite a bit. I'm in a different church every weekend. And in this past year, I have never in my life witnessed the discouragement and the despair in the hearts of people as I have in this past year. We're in some rough times here in this country. 
I've had men come up to me after they heard me speak. Michael, I was so touched, but I don't understand. I don't know if you realize my situation. Let me tell you, I've lost my house. I've lost my job. I've been on unemployment for almost 30 weeks. I'm having problems at home with my wife. You know, we got to be honest, economic issues in the house, they cause problems. I'm losing control of my kids. I'm sitting in front of the internet doing some bad things just to get my mind off of what's going on in my life. How is God going to use me? How is he going to get me to do anything when I can't even take care of my own family? I've had soldiers come to me from Iraq saying, Mike, I heard what you had to say and I really want to believe you've touched my heart, but you don't understand. I've done some terrible things above and beyond my country's call of duty. How is God going to forgive me and use me? He said, you don't understand. And I said, no, brother, I do understand. Little different circumstances in my life, but I know where you're coming from. Well, I want to tell you this, people. I don't care what any of you have done in this room, and I can say this with all confidence. I guarantee none of you have done some of the sinful things that I've done in my life. 17 years on the street, you do a lot. And if God can find it in his grace and mercy, not only to save me, transform my life, but use me for his purpose in the way he's using me now, then there is hope for everybody and anybody. And that's the message. And you've read it in the gospel with Paul. I don't compare myself to Paul, but he's been my inspiration in life. The Bible is very clear. He selected Paul for a reason, to let you know that no matter what you've done in your life, no matter how far away you are from God's grace, God is ready and willing and able to forgive you and to use you in a powerful way. And that's the message. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you're so bad a person or so sinful. Because when they do that, they take away the message of the cross. The whole Bible is about forgiveness. That's what it's all about. And I hope to be an encouragement to those of you today that are struggling. Some of you there say, you know what, Mike? I don't know what you've done in your life. I don't know what I'm going to hear. But I've been a pretty good person. I do the right thing in my life. You know, I come to church. I tithe. I bring my family up in the right way. I'm a good person in the community. I'm good with my employees. If I'm a, a boss and I'm, I'm an employee, I give my boss an honest day's work. I vote. I do the right thing. I'm a good person. Well, that's great. We need good people in this world. There's enough people doing the wrong thing. But you know what, people? The Bible is very clear. Being good is not what gets you to heaven. Being saved is what gets you to heaven. So whether you're good or bad, we all need to come to the foot of the cross and be forgiven. And so I hope you really understand that. And you walk out here today and you say, you know what? God has done something in this guy's life. Maybe it's time for me to not only to believe in him, but to give my life to him and let him do the same in my life because he does have a plan and a purpose. And you know what you're going to find out when you do that? I found out something. For a long time, I was working parallel in my life. I was walking parallel to the Lord. He was putting people in my life, events in my life, certain things that were going on that I was latching on for my own purpose. But God had a plan. And he was saying, okay, you're following the steps, you're doing it for you, but at some point in time, we're going to intersect and you're going to do this for me. And I guarantee you, many of you out there walk in parallel. You're coming to church, you got a good person in your life trying to do the right thing, but you're doing it for your own purpose, not for God's. Well, at some point in time, people, he's going to intersect with you. And I'll tell you this, if you're in this room today and God is touching your heart, once he touches your heart, he'll never let you go. So it may take you 30 years of resisting, but he's going to intersect with you. So you know what I say? Make it easy on yourself. Go out there now and say, okay, Lord, I'm ready. Today's the day. I'm going to change for the rest of my life. So that's what this is all about. Now I'm going to tell you a little story. It's a mob story, my story, but it's God's testimony. And remember that. And just understand that, people, okay? This is not my doing. It's the Lord's plan. And I think by the end of the morning, you'll understand that. 
My dad was the underboss of the Colombo crime family back in New York, very powerful position, one of the five organized crime families in New York. And um, in that life, you have a boss, underboss, capo regime, or captain, and a soldier. And uh, my dad was very, very high profile in that life, kind of like the John Gotti of his day. I grew up a lot differently than most of you in here. I grew up hating law enforcement, hating the police. And not because I was taught that way, but really because of what I witnessed from the time I was a child. They were always after my dad. He was very high profile. We always had cops around us, always had FBI agents. I viewed them as the enemy, looking to harass our family. If I was lost when I was a kid, I wouldn't go to a police officer. I thought he'd hurt me more. That's how I grew up, this distorted way of thinking. And it wasn't because dad taught me that way. He didn't, but it really was because of what I witnessed in my life. And I want to be very clear right now, okay? For all you young people in the audience, I do not feel that way anymore. I finally realized in my life that they were the good guys and we were the bad guys, at least most of the time. You know, sometimes good and bad in every life, don't matter what it is. But I deliver a very, very strong anti-crime message to our youth all over this country. I work with at-risk youth, high schools, prisons, you name it. Because you don't get away with criminal conduct in this country anymore. And people, I want to tell you something. One of the greatest satisfactions in my life is now the fellowship that I enjoy with many of my brothers and sisters in law enforcement. It's amazing. We really are all one in the kingdom of God. And you know the amazing thing, people? Not only the power of God to transform a heart, but the power to transform a mind, to break this hole the enemy has on you and change your life and let you think in the right way. Some of my best friends are in law enforcement now. Chief of Police of Beverly Hills, a brother in Christ, very dear friend of mine. It's amazing how God changes things if you allow him to. But back then it was different. And I love my dad. He didn't want this life for me originally. He wanted me to go to school and be a doctor. He said, son, you got to stay off the street. Go the right way. And, uh, and uh, I'll tell you, I idolized him as a kid growing up. He was very supportive of me, good father, good husband. I'll never forget, uh, um, I used to play all three sports. My dad would never miss a game. No matter what he was doing, mob business or otherwise, he would show up. I'd be playing baseball. I'd be up to bat on a field. I look out at the corner of my eye, here comes dad, pulling up in a big black Cadillac or a black Lincoln. That's the car he drove. Remember those 1960 Cadillacs? The fin on that car was as long as this room, right? He'd come up, you couldn't miss him. He'd pull up to the field, get out of the car, always dress sharp in a suit, always have three or four guys with him, never go anywhere alone. They'd walk out of the car, start walking into the stands. I'd be up to bat. The umpire would take one look at that crew, never call strike three on me when he seen Dad. <laughs> I used to tell him, Dad, you're good for my batting average. Keep showing up, you know. It's, uh, but uh, it's funny, I played football. Nobody would tackle me when he was in the stands. It's good to have a dad and a mom when you play sports, but he was great. And he got in some real trouble in the 60s. He got indicted several times, twice in the state, serious crimes. Went to trial, beat both of those cases. But then he was indicted in federal court in 1966 and convicted after a lengthy trial and sentenced to 50 years in federal prison. In 1970, after losing all his appeals, he went off to Leavenworth Penitentiary to do his time. I was a pre-med student, Hofstra University, when Dad went away. I was devastated. He was 50 when he went in, figure 50 on top of that. He'd never come out of prison alive. Just as an aside, my dad's 93 years old today. He's done 33 years in prison since 1970, in and out five times, each time on a parole violation. And um, I'll tell you the really sad thing, people. My dad, at 93 years old, is sitting in federal court on trial that just started this last Monday for another racketeering case. And you know what, I've been through this all my life and I understand it, but this, this past week was the worst thing I ever had to sit through because to make matters worse, my younger brother is the key witness against my father in the case. And it's tearing the family up. And I go back to court Monday and I, I, it's like surreal what I'm witnessing, but I realize when God isn't in your heart, 
things like this happen. And I want you to keep my, my father and brother in prayer. They're both, both of their names are John. My dad's better known as Sonny, but keep him in prayer that number one, this case works out. Number two, there's a healing in our family. And number three, that they come to the Lord. And that's the prayer that I ask because people ask, what can I pray for? I'm like, that's it. And I believe in the power of prayer. I think it'll come around. God has a plan and purpose and it'll all work out. But, uh, you know, he reminds me every day of just how blessed I am because this stuff is still all around me and he's blessed me in so many ways. And it is the Lord. There's no other secret going on here, people. Trust me. And, uh, but back then it was different. And uh, Joe Colombo was the boss of my family. And he kind of, you know, took me under his wing. I started to meet a lot of my dad's friends that were saying, Mike, what are you doing going to school? If you don't help your father out, he's going to die in prison. I was very affected by that. I go to see him in Leavenworth. Dad, I'm not going to school anymore. If I don't help you out, you're going to die in here. He was upset, didn't want it for me, but he knew my mind was made up. I was pretty headstrong as a kid. And he said to me, son, if you're going to be on the street, I want you on the street the right way. I want you to become a member of my life. Go home, somebody's going to be in touch with you, do what you're told. And you know, you're going to find out when you're finally walking with the Lord, there are some very significant moments that you didn't understand at the time, but you'll realize later on. And when I look back on this day, obviously it was significant. My dad was proposing me to a criminal lifestyle, but more than that. When my dad said, go home and do what you're told, I said, okay, I didn't question him. I had blind faith. Okay, Pop, anything you want, I'm ready to do, because I trusted him. And you know why I bring this out? Because people say Christians are supposed to have blind faith. Don't challenge God. Don't challenge the Bible. He's going to get upset with you. Well, let me ask you this. Do you realize as Christians what we're called upon to do? We're called upon to believe that the Bible, this book, is God's Word, written by men but inspired by God. And beyond that, we're told that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and that we have to give Him our life. We have to put our trust in Him, surrender our life to Jesus Christ. Well, how can you do that if you don't truly believe it? How can you give up your life? I gave my life to La Cosa Nostra one time because I believed in it more than anything because of my dad. And I was a faithful mob guy for quite some time because of the belief that I held, distorted, whatever, but it was. So I understand. Well, I'm telling you this, people. You can't be a good soldier in the army of Christ if you don't challenge him. If you don't say, Lord, show me the proof. I want to see the evidence. I'm giving you my life. You've got to make it real to me. God doesn't worry about that. He's up to the challenge. He has the evidence. And people, I want to tell you something. When I came to Christ, he first appealed to my intellect, and then it went down into my heart because I said to him, Lord, I had faith in somebody I love very much, and look where it got me. And it was a bad place. I'll get to that. I'm not doing it again, Lord. If you truly are the Son of God, if the Bible truly is your word, you need to show it to me. I want to see the evidence, God. And people, I know a little bit about evidence, okay? I've been to trial five times. I fought my dad's case for over 20 years. I've been to more grand juries than there are people in this section of the room. I've been in front of the Supreme Court on my dad's case. I've been in more parole hearings than you can imagine. Evidence has been a major part of my life, and I want to tell you this. When I finally opened up my heart and my soul to the Bible, I found out that there is more evidence to prove that the Bible is truly the Word of God and that Jesus is the risen Savior. Because let's face it, we're not putting our faith and trust in anybody that's dead and buried in a tomb. Jesus is the risen Savior than there is for anything else that exists in this world. Amen? Amen. And if you give yourself the opportunity, now I'm talking to the guys now, I do a lot of men's groups. And they say, oh, come on, Mike, you know, you got to show me. And then they don't look. Okay, I'll show you, but you got to do the work, brother. You got to put your time in, open your heart and your mind, and let God reveal himself to you. Once you do that, you'll realize there's no other way to go. The evidence is so powerful, people. I'm very into apologetics. That's for another time.
defending my faith because I believe in it. That's why I'm up here. And I can talk as passionately as I do because I believe it with all my heart. You know when you believe in something, you're ready to go. And I left there that day. A captain and a family picked me up, took me to see the boss. Joe Colombo had been shot and seriously wounded. A new boss took over. His name was Tom DeBell. I sat with Tom. He said, Mike, I got a message from your father. He said, you want to become a member of this life? Is that true? I said, yes. He said, well, here's the deal. From now on, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're on call to serve this family. And that means if your mother is dying and you're at her bedside and this family calls you to service, you leave your mother's side, you come and serve us. Because from now on, we're number one in your life before anything and everything. When and if we feel you prove yourself worthy to become a member, we'll give you that privilege, that honor. We'll let you know. Mob is a commitment. You're in it hook, line, and sinker. You've got to believe in it, body and soul. You don't survive. I left there that day. I was 22 years old. I was in like a pledge period. Had to do anything and everything I was told to do to prove myself worthy. Could have been something very menial, learning a mob business. And people, you need to understand what God has done in my life. Because some of you are struggling out there with the sin in your life. I know that. We all have struggles. Everybody has something going on in their life. Sometimes you look to the left and the right. Oh, they got it all together. Trust me, we're all dealing with something. That life at times is very violent, and if you're part of the life, you're part of the violence, and there is no escape, people. It's all around you, and if anybody tells you differently, they either wasn't a weren't a member of that life, or they're not being honest with you. So you think you're bad? Come on. You think God can't reach out to you? People, I want to tell you something. I've experienced the long arm of the law. I've experienced the longer arm of the Lord, and he's ready to extend it to every one of you. You need to realize that that's what this is all about. After about a year, I guess I proved myself worthy. I was called into a room again. It was Halloween night, 1975. And that night, myself and five other men took an oath and became sworn, made members of the Colombo crime family. I took the oath very seriously back then. I take it serious today, even though I don't consider myself a member of the life anymore. You come into that life, you don't sign a contract. There's no retirement age. I spent almost 20 years there. What I know about the life is in my heart, my mind. I'm not going to forget it. They say when you leave that life, you either leave in a coffin or you join the government and enter a witness protection program. Obviously, I've done neither at this point in time. It was a very solemn ceremony, meant to be very imposing, dimly lit room. I walked down an aisle similar to this. The boss was seated to the head of a horseshoe configuration. The underboss and the conciliary were to his left and right, and all the captains were alongside of them. I walked down the aisle, stood in front of the boss. He took a knife, cut my finger. Some blood dropped on the floor. This is a blood oath. I cupped my hands, took a picture of a saint, a Catholic altar card, put it in my hands and lit it aflame, and said something to me that I don't recall hearing ever before in my life growing up as a Catholic. But as a Catholic, I didn't realize about a relationship with Jesus. A relationship. And people, you know what? This life is all about relationships. Think about it. Relationship with your family, with your friends, the people you work with, the people you church with, your enemies, people in the community. It's all about relationships. Everything is a relationship. And the most important, significant, dynamic relationship in your life is the one you're going to develop with Jesus. And you know what? You can know Jesus as well as you can know the person sitting next to you. There's so much to learn about Him, so much to know. You see Him in others. You read about Him. And when He reveals Himself in you, in, in, in your heart, He becomes real to you. You can talk to him like you're talking to somebody else. It's great to have cell phones now with this thing. You're talking in a car to God, people don't think you're crazy anymore, you know? <laughs> That's how I pray. I just talk. I'm not real fervent in my prayer. I just like to talk to the Lord. And I left there. The other five guys went in. We all took the oath, but 
But uh, he said something to me that night, the first time I heard it. He said, tonight, Michael Francis, you're being born again into a new life, into La Cosa Nostra. If you violate what you know about this life, betray your brothers, then you are going to die and burn in hell like the saint is burning in your hands. Now think about it. The first time I was born again, I was born again into a criminal lifestyle. And you know, somebody brought it to my attention. I've been telling this story for 12, 13, 14 years, and I, it never hit me. Halloween night. Satan's night. He said that to me last week. He said, Michael, do you realize that's the night of Satan, the night of the dead, the night of the devil? I said, brother, I've been saying this story so long, I didn't realize that Satan was probably in the background rejoicing to be born again. What the irony of this was. I walked out of there. The other five guys went in. They all took the oath. When I came into the life, I was motivated to do two things. You come in as a soldier. I wanted to get my dad out of prison, told you about that, and I wanted to make money. My dad said, you make money in this life, it translates to power, not unlike the real world. You saw the DVD, no need to go into it. I was fortunate, I knew how to use that life to make money. And if you want to hear about the business end of it, the guys talked to me about it. I wrote a book, okay? I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. Not my idea, the title, but it seems to be working. The publisher thought of that, but in the book, I talk about some of my business dealings in the past and now, and really, it's a, it's a Proverbs-driven book. Proverbs is a brilliant book, and, and to do business the right way, according to Solomon and Proverbs, the way to go. But anyway, you can read the book. But uh, I was fortunate, knew how to use that life to succeed in business, went on to make a lot of money. In 1980, the boss of my family came to me, said, Mike, doing a good job, I'm going to appoint you a capo regime, a captain. Very powerful position. And from 1980 until about 93, I operated in that capacity. I want to tell you where I was at this point in time so that you understand when I believe God started to make a change, the preparation was, was there to make this change. Everything is a process. Brings you through these times. Even if it's a bad time, he brings you through it. And then he says, okay, you're ready to go to the next step. I'm 31 years old. I'm a captain in a family. They're grooming me to be the boss. The boss had a son. He and I were going to take over the family. I got 300 crazy guys under me ready to do anything I tell them to, to prove themselves worthy. I got my own jet plane, my own helicopter. I'm bringing in eight, nine million dollars a week into my operation. I got a house in Florida, a house in New York, a house in Los Angeles. I go to trial five times, became a major target of law enforcement, beat every case. Beat Rudy Giuliani in 1984. He was the U.S. attorney in Manhattan before he became the mayor and presidential hopeful. He said to me in a courtroom, Francis, if I convict you on this, you're going to get 100 years. I've given you double what your father got. I said, hey, Rudy, bring it on. Beat you guys four times already. Let's go for round five. After a seven-month trial, I was acquitted. I had 13 co-defendants. I was the lead defendant. Some of them got convicted. They got 30 years and up. If I would have got convicted on that case, I wouldn't be here today. Who's better than me? I had it going on, right? I'm going to be the boss of the biggest family in New York. I didn't need anything. I had plenty of money to defeat the government. I didn't like them anyway. I had it going on. Did I believe in God? Sure I did. The devil believes in God. It makes sense to believe in God. God gave us a brain for a reason. Not so things are supposed to be surreal. We're supposed to, you know, use our reasoning to understand things. God makes sense. Evolution doesn't make sense, people. I think one day it's going to be proven to be the biggest joke ever played on mankind. Doesn't make sense. Thank you. No matter how many times they try to fit this, this round thing into a square box, it just doesn't work. And I'm not going to get into that. That's for another time. But did I rely on God? Did I need him in my life? Did I surrender him? Did I trust him? No, I had it going on. But then something happened. 
Among many things I was doing at that time, I was making movies. I had a production company in LA. Somebody came to me to make a breakdance movie. A lot of music, dancing, a lot of rap music. But that's when you can listen to rap on the radio. Not like today. Forget about it today. You can't listen to this stuff. But back then we had the Sugar Hill Gang, Curtis Blow, the Fat Boys. It was great. I liked that stuff. I said, all right, I'll make the movie. It was kind of a contemporary West Side story. I said, well, we got to film it in Florida. I got a house down there. I like the warm weather. They said, okay. So we're filming this in Florida. We're in pre-production. I got all the cast and crew staying in a hotel. I brought a lot of people in from LA to work in the film. And I brought in 50 professional dancers to dance in the film. We're in pre-production. One day we're sitting by the pool getting ready to shoot, okay? I got a drink in my hand, relaxing, talking to some of my guys from Brooklyn, just shooting a breeze, minding my own business. And all of a sudden, guys, you'll appreciate this. Out of the water of the pool comes this beautiful 20-year-old girl. I look at her, everything goes in slow motion for me. It's like a Pepsi commercial. You know, you see this girl? I said, man, who is this girl? It's the most beautiful woman I ever saw in my life. She looked like a dancer to me, kind of had a dancer's body. The choreographer was sitting next to me. I said, Jeff, this one of your girls? He said, yeah. I said, bring her over. I want to meet her. I said, you know, big shot producer. She'll want to meet me. Why not? She comes over. Her name was Camille. I said, Camille, I'm Michael. I said, I'm your producer. I want to get to know you better. I want to take you to lunch. She says, okay. Very sweet, polite, great smile. I set up a lunch, top of one of the hotels in Miami. I got everything going but the violins. So I'm going to sweep her off her feet. I figured, no problem, right? I'm up there 45 minutes. She don't show up. She stood me up. Stood up a mob guy. Imagine this. She didn't know who I was. But I see her on the set the next day. I said, come here, what happened? She don't make an excuse. She smiles. Oh, maybe you got busy. You're rehearsing. I said, let's try it again. She says, okay. Another time and a place, I set it up. I go. She stood me up again. Now, she does this to me five times. Never says no, always says yes, never shows up. Now, she's outside by the book table. Every time she said, she, she hears me say that she rolls her eyes, she says, it wasn't five times. I says, excuse me, I know I'm never right in this family, but this time I happen to be. I was the offended party. I remember. Guys, remember when we were rejected, right? Five times. She don't want to have anything to do with me. I want this girl. One night, we're having a... Uh, uh, a cast meeting, she walks out of the meeting, she's upset, something's wrong, so, oh, this is it, tailor made for me, whatever the problem is, I'm gonna solve it, right, fire somebody, do whatever, okay, I got it made, we start talking a little bit, finally she opens up to me, she's from Anaheim, California, she used to dance on Knott's Berry Farm at Disneyland, she had no idea what she was getting involved with with me, and uh, she starts to tell me her mom and dad are upset, she's never been away from home this long, you know, and, and there's some crazy things happening on a movie set that she don't agree with. And I'm saying, what do you mean you don't agree with to myself? You're a dancer. They can get kind of wild. And then I start to realize she never really hung out after hours, you know. She did her rehearsal, went back to her room, kind of kept to herself. And in the conversation, somehow it comes out that she was a, a Christian or a girl of faith or something like that. I said, well, I'm Catholic, we got something in common, let's talk, right? If we, anything to get to know her better, right? I got to cut to the chase, make a long story short. I fell madly in love with this young woman, and she's now my wife of 25 years. And there's no doubt, amen, thank you. There isn't a doubt in my mind that she was the catalyst that God used to bring me to the Lord. And people, God will do whatever it takes to get your attention. For me, it happened to be a beautiful woman, and I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't care about, you know, Christian, I didn't care if she was Buddhist, Islam, anything else. She was what attracted me. But God knows how to get your attention. Who has he put in your life? What event did he have occur in your life? Who are you sitting next to now that maybe really means something to you and you don't get what God has used that person for? This is what he does. Beautiful woman for me. And I'll tell you how far out of left field he hit me. But I'll get to that. 
She takes me home to meet her mother. Her mother was the most godly woman I ever met in my life. You speak to Irma for five minutes, your name goes in her prayer book. She had a prayer book like a telephone book, praying all the time. I used to walk in the house, these two women were on their knees praying. I said, what are you doing? They said, go away, you need prayer. It was like spooky to me. I said, why are these women praying for me all the time, right? But I started to realize something, people. I'm falling in love with this girl. And I'm starting to say, wait a second, my life is a direct contradiction to everything they believe. How is this going to work? And here's what's happening, people. It was never on my radar screen ever to walk away from that life. That's why I told you where I was when I met her. I had it going on. But somehow, this woman is becoming more important to me than this blood oath that I took. More important to me than this lifelong bond and adulation I had from my father. How do you explain this? It's a young girl, she's 20 years old. I've been with other women at that point in time. You don't think because she was a godly woman that God had a plan? Think about it. I want to marry this girl and I realize I've got to make a break from the life just for her. And I start to put my plan in effect. I'm going to take a plea on another big case. Every year they indicted me again. I'll take a plea, do some jail time, give up some of my assets, marry Camille, move out to the West Coast. Maybe after a few years, the guys in New York will forget about me. I'll live happily after after. My plan, not God's, walking parallel. God allow you to walk parallel. We do get married. I do take a, a plea, 10-year prison sentence, $15 million restitution. Take the plane, the helicopter, take everything. I want to be with this girl. That's how strong it was. And you want to know how out of left field God hit me? She's Mexican. Now, the reason I say this, because back in New York, I never met a Mexican. I never even met a burrito before I met this girl, all right? Okay, first Mexican I met in my life, I married. I love Mexicans now, I gotta be honest with you. But uh, that's God really hit me out of left field. He'll come at you. So I say, Camille, I'm gonna do some time in prison. Can you handle it? You know what she said to me? Michael, I'd rather have you alive in prison than with all of these problems on the street. God will be in the focus of our marriage, our foundation of our marriage. He'll get us through. God, God, God at 21. And you know what, God, people? I'm not the real story here. What this girl had to go through. Totally out of left field. Really had no clue what my life was all about. What she had to go through, she will tell you, I love my husband. But if God wasn't in the foundation of our marriage, I don't think I would have made it. It was too hard. We get married, I go into prison. I accepted Christ at that point. Yeah, you know why? I wanted my sins forgiven. Why not? I'm a sinner. Hey, this sounds great. I want some of that. I accepted him. Surrender? No. Couldn't process that. I grew up under the old adage, God helps those who help themselves. Couldn't process the surrender part. I thought that was weak. No, you're mistaken about that. Acceptance without surrender. Doesn't work. I go into prison. Something happens in there where I'm put in a position as to make a decision whether or not I'm going to renounce my life. I do. People all hell broke loose for me. I didn't realize it was ever going to become so public. It was picked up from Life magazine, you name it. Quitting the mafia, he's out. My dad disowns me. Boss of my family, Carmine Persico, who's now doing life, contract on my life. I was in real trouble. They locked me down in prison. I get out on parole. FBI is all over me. Francis, you're a dead man anyway. Quote. May as well cooperate with us. We'll put you in a program. We'll change your life. You cooperate with us. I didn't want to testify against the guys in New York. I wasn't mad at them. I just wanted out of the life. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. They don't take no for an answer. They gave me a tough time in that life. I'm out on parole 13 months. People, the worst time of my life. Feds kept coming to me. Mike, you got to move. Informants are out here. They got people out here to kill you. You got to get out. Me and my wife had to pick up and with the kids and move. 
So many times I couldn't get a job, I couldn't work, couldn't do anything. It was the worst time in my life, and he'd keep pounding me and pounding me, and I'm resisting. One day I tell my wife, I'm going to the bank, I'll be back in a few minutes, we'll go have breakfast. I walk out of the bank, 15 agents there, slap the cuffs on me, put me in a paddy wagon, take me away. Go into the bank, lean all my bank accounts, take my car, go to my house with a search warrant, clean me out, took the money out of my wife's purse, left me with nothing. They bring me down to the lockup and they say, Francis, we don't want you anymore, you're done. We got new informants, new criminal activity, you're going to jail for the rest of your life. We violated you on parole. You'll never see the light of day again. They put me in that six by eight cell and here's my situation. I'm done. I'm done. 38, 39 years old. How am I gonna get out of this? I'm gonna lose the girl that I did all of this for. She's got no money. She just waited for me five years, 13 horrible months on parole. Why would she wait for me any longer? She's 27 years old. I'm not gonna see my kids again. They can't put me out on the yard. I got all these death threats. I'm gonna spend the rest of my life in this hole. I got no money. I can't even defend myself on another case. It's all over. People, I have felt every emotion that you can feel in life from ecstasy right down to grief and everything in between, but by far the worst emotion anyone can ever feel, I'm convinced, is hopelessness. When you feel you have nowhere to go, nowhere to turn, your situation is just dismal and there's nothing you can do to change it, it is the worst feeling in the world. I remember my heart hurt so much that night, it was a physical pain, I couldn't do it, endure it. It was killing me. Call me a coward, weak, whatever you want, it applied. I wanted to lay myself down on that pillow. My head was exploding. I didn't want to think of anything because there's no solution in mind. I'm laying there, some prison guard walks by my cell. He said, Francis, you all right? You don't look good. I said, get away from me. I chased him. He said, I don't feel good. Leave me alone. He left. He came back about a minute later and he had this book. It was a Bible and he pushes it through the slot on the door, falls down just like that. I hear the thump. I'm a little groggy. I look down, I said, a Bible? This guy gives me a Bible. I want a bottle of Prozac. Now, I don't want a Bible. I want to think of God. I was angry with God. What happens when we screw up? We get mad at God. But finally, I'm looking down. All my emotion jumps out of me. I jump off that cot. I'm not being dramatic. I pick up the Bible. I throw it against that cinder block wall as hard as I could. Everything came out of me. It took me about 30 seconds. I said, you know what? I got nothing but enemies tonight. It's only me and God in this cell. I don't need another enemy. And I pick up that book. And you know, people, I cried out to God that night. I said, you know, God, if you're really up there, you need to give me something to make me feel better. I can't deal with this. It was painful. And you know, I've never heard God in, audibly. I've never seen a vision in my sleep, and people told me they've had that experience. I never had. But I'll tell you this, I hear him talking to my heart all the time now, because I have a relationship with him, and this is the first time I listened because I was desperate. And I started flipping through the book. I never read Proverbs before, people, never. And the first verse that I came to where God talked to my heart, Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, even his enemies are at peace with him. Now, you know what God did in that verse? He convicted me. He spoke to me. I said to you, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, now who have you been doing this all for, Michael? And I looked in that cracked mirror, and you're in that situation. You can't lie to yourself. And I knew it was all for me. And I knew what I was being told. Surrender, do it for God, all that stuff. No. And then he went on to say, if you do that, even your enemies are going to be at peace with you. I got the solution. Are you ready to come along? 
I read on a little further. It motivated me, and I came to the verse that became the verse of my life, people. I'm going to sign some books for you out there. I've signed thousands of books. Everybody likes the author's signature. Great, I understand. But you know what? My name is nothing but a name on a piece of paper. That's it. But what I write underneath it every time, you will not see my name without this verse because I want to bring your attention to it because it impacted my life. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Now you've heard the story. You tell me if this was a coincidence. It wasn't. People try to dismiss this. Oh, Michael, no, this isn't a myth. This is real. This is God talking to me at a time when I needed it. And to go beyond that, you know what he said to me? Okay, Francis, you've been walking parallel. I've been putting all these people in your path. I led you out of that life. I've given you the open door, but you aren't ready to give it to me. Now you got no choice. You're in here. You realize you got nothing to do but rely on me. You have no control of this situation. Are you ready? And you know what? Sometimes he will have to break us down like that to get our attention when he's ready. And I said, okay, God, but here's the deal. I gave it up for somebody I love very much, and he got me here. Not doing it again. That's when I asked for the proof, the evidence. And that's when I was ready to look. And I'll tell you what. You see my prison Bible? You'll see more of my notes on there than there is Scripture. I read it I don't know how many times. My wife sent me in over 400 Christian books, starting with Chuck Colson's Born Again. I read, and I read, and I read. And I had a Sony Walkman every day. I would listen to Pastor Greg Laurie and some of these wonderful, gifted evangelists that interpret Scripture in such a way to bring you closer to the Lord. Don't only read the Bible, people. Anything you can get your hands on, any person that's willing to talk to you that's biblically sound, any audio, any video, anything that brings you closer to the Lord, get your hands on because this is what this relationship is all about. And that's how it worked for me. Well, the 50 years they were going to give me fell apart. It turned into four. I did 29 months in the hole, locked down 24-7. And I became so close to the Lord. I gave it up to him because I said, Lord, you know what? I'm in so much trouble. I don't have any money. I don't know what I'm going to do when I get out of here. My father hates me. Everybody's after me. They've given, they've put contracts on my life. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get started again. I'm going out to LA like a fish out of water. What do I do? I'm giving it all to you. I trust you. He will take you even when you're desperate and you got nowhere else to turn. He don't care. I get out of jail and people want to tell you something. A speaker? Come on. My pastor says to me, I never forget, he says, Mike, I want you to give you a testimony at the church. I didn't even know what he was talking about. I thought testimony came from a witness stand. I said, what is he talking about, testimony, right? <laughs> but all I can tell you in this, in the time I came out of prison in 96, I still resisted the Lord. I was trying to do things my own way and I'm being asked to speak and so on and so forth. Well, long story short, Finally, about six years ago, I said, Lord, you know what? The other things aren't working out. I seem to be connecting with people. The message is resonating. Maybe this is my purpose. I'm going to give it all to you for the first time in my life. I'm going to have tunnel vision and try to follow you obediently. And since that time, this ministry has taken off in a way that I could never have imagined. I've written four books, starting to write my fifth. They're doing a movie on my life, and I want to tell you this. I've been approached a thousand times to do a movie, but every time it was a mob movie. I said, I'm not interested in doing that. You want to tell the whole story? Okay. Nobody would do it until now. Now i got a major production company. said, Michael, we're going to talk about Jesus and everything else. We're telling your story. Praise God. 20 years later, God made it happen. And I guarantee you, we're going to honor the Lord, or you won't see it on the screen. A&E doing a big series on me. 
in the next couple of months. All for God's glory. I will not do it unless it honors God and serves the purpose of the ministry. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. And I add a little bit about my own. Not in the Bible, you can't do that. But my, my second half to that, if the plans don't succeed, don't worry about it. It wasn't in God's plan, purpose for your life. So that's a very good way to go through life. You don't get disappointed. But he has done some amazing things, people, and he's ready to do it to you. I'm going to close with this. When I got out, everybody predicted my death publicly. Now, my book, I think they ran out of books, my, my uh, autobiography, Blood Covenant, but I think they're taking orders out there. We'll get them to you next week. But this is the audio version. Can't read it here, but if they have any outside, read the inside cover of the book. When I walked away from that life, everybody predicted my death. Life magazine wrote, right on the inside cover, if he holds to what he has promised, it'll mark the first time a high-ranking member of the mafia will publicly walk away from his past and live. Ed McDonald, head of the strike force, my prosecutor in New York, when he heard I was walking away in 93, he got on television and said, I wouldn't want to be in Michael Franzese's shoes. I don't think his life expectancy is very substantial, 93. Bernie Welsh, FBI agent, six foot five, big guy, put 500 mob guys away. My nemesis, every time I turned around, he was there. When he heard I was walking away publicly, he said, he will get whacked. Quote, I think you know what that means in mob parlance. My mother, I pray for my son every night. When I walked into that room that night, and there were six of us that took that oath. Six. I'm the only one alive today. Not one of them died of natural causes. You saw the Fortune magazine article. 50 biggest and most powerful mob bosses in the country. It was written in 1987. They had us in, in order. I was the youngest guy on the list, number 18. Today, on that list, 43 of them are dead. Three of them are doing life in prison. And I'm here to talk to you about my Lord and Savior, my hero, Jesus Christ. What does that tell you, people? It tells you that when God has a plan and a purpose for you, and he does for every one of you, nothing is going to stand in the way. No mob, no sickness, no prison, nothing will stand in the way except for you. And when I was out here signing books earlier, some people came over to me, some guy came to me crying said, Michael, I'm going through such a challenge. I'm going to lose my job tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm going to say, brother, I'm going to tell you this. You stick close to the Lord because I found out in my life when he closes one door, he opens up a bigger and a better one. And that's my encouragement to all of you that are struggling out there. Stay close to the Lord. Don't ever turn away. Turn towards him because he will solve it. He will have your back. And it may take some time, and you're going to go through some hell because you always remember something. This is not heaven. This is earth. We're getting to heaven. So you're going to go through the struggles, but God will open another door. Guaranteed. I'm on Facebook, Twi uh, Twitter, Twitter, whatever they call it. I love to communicate. I got a great ministry online. I must have got a, f a couple hundred Facebook requests from the earlier services. And it's good. The fellowship is important, people. We stay in touch with one another. We weren't meant to do this alone. We were meant to lean on each other, fellowship together, and go and worship our Lord. God bless you all. It's been a great, wonderful experience. I hope I get to come back. Thank you. Thank you.